Hey guys, I'm Enoch. It's my first time doing a Bible reading. Um, it's Romans 5, 12 to 21. Unfortunately, the flyers aren't here, so you know, don't have that printed out. So just whip up your phones if you can. Or your Bibles. So yeah, Romans 5, 12 to 21. So, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think I will now invite Tim Thorben up to speak. Thanks, Enoch. trying to get myself set up and it's not going to work. Here we go. I can see you now. Good. Well, it's great to be with you. Um, I've got a question to start today. Who's been the most influential person in your life? Now, uh, you might think, oh, obviously my parents. I look like them. I do things exactly the same as them. But think a little bit harder. Who, who else has influenced your life? So just with the person next to you, what do you think about who do you reckon has been the most influential person in your life? One of you hog the limelight, let the other one talk for a second. Yeah, keep talking.
right, I'll stop you there. That could go on for a long time, couldn't it? Did anybody have someone as the most influential person, someone they've never met? Who did? Rosemary. Who? I think Jesus. <laughs> That's always the right answer, isn't it? Anybody have anybody else? Anyone else? Anybody say, like, my great-grandparents who decided to migrate from um, Holland to Australia and that's why I'm Australian? Because often it's like that, isn't it? It's often people that we haven't immediately met, but they've had enormous influence because of the decisions they made that affect us. Well, today we're going to look at the most influential people in history. Time magazine is famous for doing their most influential people in the world. They do it every year, 2019. Here are some of the most influential pioneers. Recognise any of them? Well done, I didn't recognise anybody. Most influential artists. Obviously BTS. Who's a BTS fan? K-pop, come on. No? Okay. What about most influential leaders? Surely you recognise some of them. Jacinda Ardern made it onto the list, but ScoMo didn't. Man, that's a loss, isn't it? Well done, New Zealand. At the turn of the century, Time magazine did a... Who was the most influential person of the last hundred years? Who do you reckon? 20th century, most influential person? Recognise this guy? Iconic face, isn't it? Well, hair anyway. Wouldn't you love to have hair like that? Einstein, never met him, but in many subtle ways, even from the grave, he's had enormous influence on our lives today. In uh, 1992, a guy called Michael Hart published a book, The Most Hundred Influential People in All of History, not just the 20th century, not 2019, but all of history. It was fairly controversial because his number one pick was Muhammad. Number two pick... Isaac Newton. You've heard of him, have you? Number three pick, Jesus Christ. When he was asked to justify that, because that was a little bit controversial, he said, the followers of Muhammad are more serious than the followers of Jesus. Ouch. He was number eight and nine. Eight, Gutenberg. Gutenberg invented the printing press. And it's hard to imagine life without the printing press, isn't it? That's had an enormous impact on your life and my life. Kai Lun, number seven. Do you know what he invented? Paper. Yeah, Gutenberg needed him to do his stuff. You might understand. Well, Romans chapter five makes the case that one person has had such a great impact on your life, it outstrips Einstein or Newton or even your parents. Just to put you in the context, Romans chapters one to five The Apostle Paul, in the first century AD, outlines his gospel, his news from God. And his gospel can be summarised in two little bits at this point, two sentences. One is, all have sinned. Secondly, God sent his son Jesus to die for sinners so that sinners could be justified. Sinners could be forgiven and reconciled to God. If you weren't here first semester, the talks are on the website. Feel free to go and look at the Christian Union website. But now, having been very personal, Jesus died so you and I could be justified. Paul zooms out to the big, the cosmic perspective. And he asks the question, 
Who has been the most influential person? Who's had the most impact in all time on all people? And his answer is Adam. Now, I don't mean Adam, you know. This is the Adam, the first human created. God put in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. You may never have heard of him. He didn't make Hart's book, that's for sure. But you see verse 12, he says, Sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all because all sinned. See, this is an influence much more than superficial things like the colour of your hair or the language that you speak or the sense of humour that you have. This is much bigger and more lasting. It's about life and death influence, freedom and slavery. Adam was just one person. And in one act, one thing he did, he changed the whole course of human history. He changed your life and my life. In the Garden of Eden, he took one bite. And as he did that... Sin and evil entered our world. It invaded. It it, it spread like a a rampant weed, a a malignant cancer. And with sin came death. Death invaded. Death spread to all people. Adam was warned that if anyone ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would die. He didn't heed the warning. He charged headlong into disaster. That has brought death to everybody. Not just physical death, but firstly, a a break with God, the the author of life, which leads in the end to physical death. But this passage is actually not about Adam. He's the backdrop. It's actually about another person who's had a greater influence on history, on the world. In verse 15, he says, The gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflows to the many. If Adam brought sin and death, Jesus brought grace and life, a similarly huge impact to Adam, similarly huge impact on us. Now, I don't know how you went as we read that passage, as Enoch read it to us. It's actually quite a difficult passage to follow because Paul jumps around a little bit. In verse 12, he starts with, just as sin entered the world... And whenever you have a sentence that begins with just as, it's got to finish with so also. Just as the sky is brilliant blue today, so also the water of Matilda Bay is bright blue. It's always got to have that. Well, if you read verse 12, he never gets to the um, uh, so then, the so also. He sort of gets cut off and has to deal with some other stuff. It's not till verse 18 that Paul finishes the sentence he started in verse 12. That's so long ago he has to repeat himself. Verse 18, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. And that's the main point. We'll come back to that. There's also some long, complex sentences. Verses 12 to 14 is all one sentence in the original. It sort of jumps here and there. It's quite hard to follow. And the passage includes some ways of thinking about life that are a bit alien to us in 21st century. We'll come back to that in a second. But the main uh, message of this passage is pretty straightforward, that Jesus is like Adam in some significant ways. In verse 14, he calls Adam the pattern of the one who's to come. He's like Jesus, different but like him. And they're like in some significant ways because for both people... 
One person influenced lots of people. One action created implications for all people. Adam was one person. Hey, they come, have they? Yeah. Uh, Terrific. Yes, please. So as these come around, uh, let's just take a break for a second. We'll get the handouts around. You'll see the passage. You'll see the outline. And that might help you follow. Okay, if you're on the outline, we're up to 2C, if that's any help. The similarity, Jesus is like Adam. So you see in verses 18 and 19, one trespass results in condemnation for all people, but one righteous act results in justification for all people. Through the one man, many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one, the many are made righteous. See, Adam was just one person who did one action that plunged the whole world into darkness of sin and evil, of condemnation and death. He unleashed an avalanche, a tsunami that overwhelms every person in the world, every person through history. And the fatal disease he unleashed is sin. In verse 19 he says, The many were made sinners by Adam's act of disobedience. Somehow what Adam did causes us to be sinners. Now Paul doesn't explain how that happens, because Adam lived a long time ago. How how does his action affect me and and you? Pelagius, who was a famous uh, British heretic of the 4th century, said the way it happens is that we just imitate Adam. You know, what Adam did, we imitate. But that really doesn't do justice to what Paul says, does it? Here he says, we were made, we were constituted, it caused us to be sinners. Another way of thinking about it is that maybe uh, we've inherited some sort of sinful nature. It's in our DNA since Adam. Uh, Another way, and this is the way that I think he's meaning, but is foreign to our way of thinking, is that when Adam sinned, in a sense, he represented us. His decision included us. If you're a 21st century Aussie, we think very individualistically about life. It's, I determine my outcome, I determine my destiny. But it's actually simply not true, is it? As I suggested before, maybe your great-grandparents made a decision that has shaped your life in more ways than most other decisions. Maybe they decided to, to move to Australia. Maybe they decided to send one of their uh, children to university and you're the product of the, that generation going to university. The decisions of others do affect us in ways that we are outside our control. Adam made a decision that affects all of us. And whether we understand how that affects us, empirically it's true, isn't it? We all do evil. We're all flawed. We all suppress the truth about God in wanting to do our own thing. And sin is a capital offence. 
We might think it isn't. It shouldn't, shouldn't be a capital offence. But when you turn your back on the person who gives you life, what do you think is going to happen? Sin is always a capital offence. And so all of us are condemned to death. The death is not just a natural occurrence. It's the result of evil, of sin. Over the holidays, while you were doing exams, my mum died. And for me, that was the first time in, it, it, I felt like death had actually come close to me. The effect of what Adam did hit me personally. And you might say, but, but Tim, can't you remember her? Can't you keep her in your heart? But what I've got in my heart now is a hole. My mum is not there anymore. Death has robbed me of her. It's an enemy. And all will die. We know it in our heads, but often we suppress it till it comes close. If you're going to start a business, let me give you some advice. Obvious one is, don't start a business that rents DVDs. They're going out of fashion. Another one might be, don't start a coal mine. I hope they go out of fashion too sometime. But I'll tell you one industry that will never go out of fashion. Funeral directing. Because the mortality rate amongst all of us is 100% and will remain that. Adam, says Paul, has actually been the most influential person in history, in the world, till Jesus. The so also, just as Adam, so also Jesus. One person, one action, death, compared to one person, one action, justification, and life for many. Jesus is like Adam. But that's a pretty risky comparison to make, Jesus and Adam. Adam's not the pin-up boy for righteousness and goodness, is he? It would be a a bit like saying, uh, Jake is like a platypus. And you immediately think, oh, come on, he's not like a platypus at all. Or Mother Teresa is like Adolf Hitler. It's a risky comparison. And so Paul wants to put his in qualifications. So verses 15 to 17, before he actually says, this is how Adam is like Jesus, he tells you the way then Jesus is not like Adam. So the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment following one sin brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. They go in opposite directions. Adam's sin led to condemnation, disaster. Jesus' gift Justification, which is terrific. And it's not just their opposite directions pulling in opposite ways, but Jesus is undoing the effect of Adam's sin. Jesus justifies those that Adam condemned. Adam sort of gets the avalanche going, sweeps up everybody before him, and Jesus stops the avalanche. But it's not just that he stops it. He pushes it back up the hill to where it came from. Gives life to people that Adam killed. Also, there's a greater magnitude involved. What Jesus achieved is greater than Adam's achievement. After Adam, death reigned. Verse 17, if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? People are always trying to escape death and its slavery to it to escape the clutches of Adam's sin. Some people do it by saying, let's just stop sinning, see if we can do that, maybe that will push it back. Others uh, invent theories of things like reincarnation, maybe through that we can get rid of death, it's it's not the end of life, it's just the entry to another uh, part of life. 
or medical advances. But every funeral we go to tells us that death wins, that death reigns, that we're slaves, we can't escape. But Jesus brought life out of death. Now, which is harder? To kill somebody who's alive or bring back to life somebody who's dead? Not hard to work it out, is it? It's pretty easy to kill someone who's alive, isn't it? Just get a gun, just push them off a cliff, push them in front of a train. It's very easy. But somebody who's dead, it's impossible to bring them back to life, isn't it? But that's what Jesus does. He brings back to life those who are dead. So who has the greatest impact? Jesus, not Adam. Adam kick-started the whole avalanche. But Jesus, in the midst of that, brings life. Now, there's a sort of little side issue Paul feels he needs to discuss about the law in verses 13 and 14. Because Paul's been talking about Adam and then Christ as if nothing happened in between, between Genesis 3 and the New Testament. But if you're a Jewish in your thinking, you'd say, no, God did do something, didn't he? He sent the law. He gave the law to Moses. Does the law make any difference? Well, have a look at verse 13 and you'll see. It says in verse 13, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, between Adam and Moses, but sin is not charged against anyone account where there's no law. If there's no law, there's no actual transgression. You can't say you broke that law. But verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even of those who didn't sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. They still died. They still sinned, even though there was no law to break. Their orientation towards God was still evil. And you know that because they all died. He goes back to the law again in verse 20. The law was brought in, why? So the trespass might increase. See, some people think, maybe the law can stop the avalanche. Can it hold it back? No, law actually increases the trespass because it shows it up as being now transgression. Not just evil, but disobedience. It shows sin to be explicitly transgression. It gives momentum to the avalanche. It it can't hold it back. This passage is trying to show us there's a greater leader, a, a leader with more impact than Adam. Adam's impact is massive on the whole world, on you and on me. But there's a greater leader with a bigger impact, a massiver impact, called Jesus. Of course, he reverses what Adam did. If you look around, it looks like Adam is still the boss, doesn't it? It looks like Adam is still winning. Cemeteries keep getting filled up more and more. We've run out of space. We've just used niches now. Epidemics of cancer and flu just keep multiplying. Adam looks unassailable as the number one in time's most influential people of all history. But Jesus, by one act... Stop that headlong rampage of sin and death and hell. Not by urging us to clean up our act, try harder, but by dying for us, bearing the penalty for evil, taking our condemnation and death. And Paul's saying when you zoom back a bit, you see that this action, this one person dying in our place, changes the destiny of the whole universe. It reverses the destiny of the human race. It's much bigger than just you and me. It's bigger than the Dockers winning the Premiership. Bigger than Avengers Endgame. Bigger than an Ed Sheeran concert. The Muhammad, 
the top of the list in the book, he's just another one caught up in Adam's avalanche. Einstein, relatively speaking, he's dust. BST, well, if they get to grow old, they will just die. Sorry, BTS. (laughs) They're pygmies compared to Jesus. Which shows us that really there's just two humanities. We like to divide humanity up in all sorts of ways. But regardless of gender and race and intelligence and education and fitness, all of us are either in Adam by birth or in Jesus. That Jesus has started a new humanity by his act of humble obedience. He started something completely new. And he's the head. He's the leader of it. This is what Adam did. He forged the way sin and death reign over everybody. But instead of sin and evil, Jesus starts something new that's dominated by righteousness and goodness. Instead of death, by life. Instead of condemnation, justification. Instead of slavery, freedom. And so there were two humanities, two heads. And we all line up either behind Adam or behind Jesus. By default, we're behind Adam. We line up with him. If you're unsure... Assume that's where you are, because it's probably true. But in verse 17, Paul talks about those who receive God's abundant provision of grace. That is, all those in Adam are invited to change, to be in Christ, to receive the gift that Jesus has provided, that Jesus offers. And so enter a whole new era of existence, of life, in which grace reigns. Now have a look at verse 20 again. The law was brought in, So the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Grace super increased, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's describing the dynamic of the Christian life. Where sin increases, grace just super increases. The more I sin, the more I'm forgiven. Sin can't win against grace. Think about it for a minute. What's the worst thing sin can do to you? It can entice you to sin. Really bad, can't it? To, to do real, real fair dinkum evil. And that sounds really powerful because ultimately that can lead to God's rejection of you. Condemnation of me and you. But if Jesus has taken my condemnation, sin has lost its power. If God forgives and his forgiveness is inexhaustible, then the more I sin, the more I experience of God's grace. Sin can't drive a wedge between me and God. It can't have me condemned by God. In fact, the opposite. I sin some more. Again, I realise how deep and rich is the grace of God. It just draws me to God. It doesn't separate me from God. It's, it's a bit like Judah. I've never done judo. You can tell by my body, can't you? That's not my thing. But I understand in judo, the theory is that you use the the momentum of your opponent against them. You know, if they throw a fist at you, you just keep the fist going and use it against them. And that's what grace does to sin. The more you sin, the more good it does for you. The more you appreciate the wonderful grace and richness of God's forgiveness. The more you understand with, with your heart how much it costs uh, to win your forgiveness through that one act of righteousness. And instead of taking you away from God, it just leads you to love and praise him more and more. Sin cannot win 
in the light of grace. If we're in Christ, we live under the reign of grace. Have you stuffed up recently? Have you stuffed up badly? Have you stuffed up again? Do you feel defeated by sin, by evil? It's, it's got a grip on you you just can't unravel. Do you feel sort of distant from God? Well, grace overcomes that. All those feelings can't win under God's grace. That's something to love, to revel in. Because of Jesus, we reign over sin and death. Not because we're more powerful, but because one man gave his life for us. Tacitus, famous Roman historian, commented at the time of Tiberius, who was the Roman Caesar when Jesus lived and died, he said, nothing of significance occurred during the reign of Tiberius. Paul would beg to differ. Paul would actually say the most significant event in all of history happened under the reign of Tiberius. Sure, it was in the backwater of the Roman Empire, in Judea, outside of this little city called Jerusalem. But it is the event of history. So where are you? In Adam or in Christ? Who do you line up behind? If you line up behind Christ, have you started to get a feel for how brilliant that is? How the grace of God changes everything? Sin cannot win. It can't destroy you. That can damage you, it can leave you a few wounds, but it can't win. Grace wins every time. In Adam, if that's where you've recognised you are, why are you staying there? It's a crazy place to be, isn't it? When the offer of forgiveness and the gift of righteousness is for you, will you take it?